evening, everybody. It's Tracy here with the Everybody Counts podcast, and I am joined by my pal, Mike Martini, Boss Trivia Guy, and this other fella, Welliver B. Titus Third. Jay's back. The one and the only. What's going on? We're excited <laughs> to have you here with us, man. Absolutely. Good to see you back, buddy. Yes. You guys as well. It's going to be good. This is a well, I can't say a fun episode. Part of it's fun, though. Yeah, part of it's yeah. fun. Yeah, part of it's fun. There's some really serious stuff, no doubt. But I am excited about doing this one with you guys. Good stuff. But not on the so much funny side. We start out with another extortion scheme with Ellis and Long. So first we see Dr. Schubert. Some, I guess he's a plastic surgeon. He's making a house call. And this client is very pleased with her results. She's got some sort of lip enhancement. She's very pleased. And she gives Dr. Schubert an envelope of cash. He shares some instructions and he's on his way. Thinks he's done. But then he's he's blocked from leaving the driveway by the big, loud, noisy muscle car with Ellison mm-hmm. Long. And they take that cash right away. Apparently, he owes them some sort of debt. So they've got him by the balls, I guess. <laughs> and uh, what he has is not enough. They say it feels light. And not only is it light, but it sounds like they're going to need it more often. Is that the impression you got? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because they uh, not, more, not just more often, but more of it, maybe. I think so. I, yeah, it seemed yeah. like more of it and more often. And because mm-hmm. uh, Ellis tells him that that the vig has increased yes I, I was not familiar with that term Were you guys familiar with the vig well i've heard it in a lot of mafia stuff so. okay yeah <laughs> so that fits i had to look it up so it's short for vigorish i hope i'm pronouncing it correctly and basically it refers to but it's <laughs> like a, what you almost like the cost to play or to book um, oh wow i think so so yeah, I always thought it meant like vested interest gained or something like that. Because you know, oh. you I, I always thought it was an acronym or something like that. Okay, but, it's short so for I, vigorous. I, Let me look it up real okay. quick. Might as well get it on the podcast with the right definition yeah. since I brought it up. Vigorous. Okay, the vig short for vigorous. It's like an excessive rate of interest on a loan, typically one from an illegal money lender. Another definition: the percentage deducted from a gambler's winnings by the organizers of a game so yeah some type of gambling term and kind of sounds like on the not so legal side of things so anyway so because because you and i weren't familiar with it it shows our innocence where mike yeah. was familiar with yes. it, and now we know he's a bad dude okay got, <laughs> got it. This was a test. No, I just I just watched I just watched a lot of stuff with bad people. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, sure. Wink, this, wink. This, this, yeah, this right. was this uh-huh. was a test. This was a test. So yeah, now the 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 story's out. Thank goodness Pete's not here. He would have given us the full explanation, probably. <laughs> <laughs> right, he's out collecting them as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I think he's at some type of Halloween event. So just messing with you, Pete. But but yeah, so the VIG has increased. So, you know, they, so we know that he, they've got more than one scheme going on, which, you know, doesn't doesn't surprise me. So then we have a scene with Matthew and he is 
he gets busted by Honey and Harry, pretty much. He gets a text about a white flower. And so it seems like code for that restaurant where he was meeting the feds, mm-hmm. Fiora Blanca. So he just thinks he's going to, to see these two FBI agents. He leaves for the restaurant and walks in and there's Honey and Harry. How do you think yep. he felt? What, what was your thought? Oh. <laughs> His stomach I... was through the floor. His stomach is through the floor. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of like reminded me. And we talk about this later with Tom, and I don't. It doesn't sound like it was really their intention, but it kind of made me think of like a, a teenager that just got busted by his parents for something, you yeah. know. So, anyways, he uh, they want to know the scoop. What's he been doing? What's he been saying? How did this happen? He describes his his interactions as he's had with the feds. Um, he uh, initially he denied knowing anything about the shipping container but then later he confesses that he got it from honey so like Bosch points out it's never good to change your story so he started out lying and then changed his story so they kept after him he says that he didn't say for certain that it was from Simon Wakefield's phone but he definitely said he didn't know the whereabouts of the phone which he pointed out was true yeah because I guess did Honey give it to him on a piece of paper or a download? I don't remember. But it, it was wasn't... a piece of paper. It okay. was a piece of paper that she originally gave to him, wanting to find out information on it. Okay. And, of course, he wants to know if he's going to be fired. And Honey says she doesn't know yet. Mm-hmm. But after he leaves, she clearly doesn't trust him. So it's not, it's not looking mm-hmm. good for Matthew. But, but, now, uh, but, now they, but now they have a counter mole now. She right, wants to know right. all of his dealings yeah. with the FBI, or his, his his new federal friends is how she put it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the whole, they don't know we know that you know mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, he goes on his way, but yeah, they know that they might be able to use this to their ad- advantage somehow. So mm-hmm. they each get some messages. Harry gets one on his phone and Honey gets one. And Harry's is, is basically he's getting lots of messages and texts and feedback about it's, you know, it is spread around, I guess, mm-hmm. his interaction with Vince Herrick when he posed as a buyer at Lexi Park's house. And then what came out from that is that he's working for the defense, you know, because he tried to explain to Herrick why he was there. And and so that's spreading around. And so with law enforcement, they're they're not happy about him being on the defense side, just as Bosch has always been, you know, traditionally. So he's getting a lot of grief about that. But also related to that whole incident, Honey finds out that the prosecution is trying to get Harry removed from being an investigator on Foster's case, which... We might as well go ahead and talk about that. It's just, it, that's just bull. I mean, he, he didn't, he didn't do anything illegal. He legally got access to the home. I mean, anyone could say that they're a buyer. Anyone can, but he, it's not like he went in the house alone and, and claimed he was a buyer. He went with the realtor and everything. So the judge does end up dismissing that request. So Bosch is still on the case, but some other stuff that came from that interaction with the judge, I think it was Judge Newland, I think is his name. He, you know, he dismisses that, but then he immediately wants to know how the plea negotiations are going. And, you know, Honey's not interested in that. She believes her client is innocent and she's working towards that and wants him to have his his day in court. And, but the, the judge is not all about that. He's really pushing for some type of plea deal. 
He says it's basically like a slam dunk, I think maybe is the word he uses. And mm-hmm. he doesn't want to waste the time, you know, on his docket. So I get, you know, all Honey can really say is, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them about that. But, you know, she also says fairly that she will give her advice, you know, to them about her legal advice. So anything else that you guys want to comment about that whole effort to get Bosch off the case and how Honey responds to the the push for doing a plea deal? I was, I was kind of happy that there weren't going to be any, uh, what was the word they used? You know, punitive actions were going to be taken against how Bosch, mm-hmm. how, against Harry. You know, so I was kind of happy that, you know, that the judge sided with with the defense on that. Yeah. But then I was really not happy with how he's <laughs> trying to push Honey to take in a plea agreement, at least bringing it to her client when yeah. she is 95% to 100% sure that her client is actually innocent, you know, because. Yeah. Well, that, actually, no, now she knows that he's innocent because the video was in the last episode. They saw his van going in and out of the motel at the same time as the murder of Lexi Park. Yeah, so. it's, it's definitely not adding up. There's definitely holes in in yes. the idea that that he did it so yeah so i felt like yeah. it was a win for her but then it was a loss you know where the judge is saying well you know you guys come up with a plea agreement i want to hear by the end of the week i know what was it emmett offered murder in the second or second degree murder which would be 15 to life but you know, at least something you know yeah uh, what is it uh how do you phrase it it's a great offer considering the circumstances type of thing where you know emmett emmett's is kind of a kind of a pain that took us to a little bit where it's like, oh, this is what we'll offer you. Take it, you know, yeah. or, you know and so, you know, highly suggest that the guy takes it type of thing. It's like, okay. Right. What yeah, it definitely feels like the judge is, is strong arming her there. And you, Mike, were bothered enough about that, that we do ask Tom about it in our showrunner spotlight at the end of the podcast. So tune in for that, definitely to hear more about this idea of the judge basically telling them, make a plea deal, you know, make a plea offer. But let's jump in to see what's going on with Mo and his new friend, Jade Quinn. They're out for drinks. Do you want to talk about that, Mike? Yes. So they're having drinks, talking about their, or talking about their drinks. You know, she ordered a forlorn dragon. Dragon. Yeah. (laughs) And he had something that, oh, what was it? He said it had a, oh, I can't remember the material was in it of his drink i forgot to write that down but then uh, but jade's uh start, talks about it next she's having an issue with that he works for a pharma company and he hacked his way into jade's family medical records and is threatening to release the information online which would be a financial disaster is how she how she phrased it and mm-hmm. i know they they talk about that and he uh, i know mo, mo asks her well why don't you hack his stuff you know type of thing and she goes well He's too good. I'm not. I'm not really a hacker. I'm just like. Uh, I just write about him. Mm-hmm. So, I, I felt bad for Jade. You know that she has this issue going on and and everything. So yeah. And later we see uh, Mo. Later, like after that get together, we see him listening to her podcast. So he definitely seems yes. to be kind of you know trying to figure out you know who she is, what she's about. You know, getting a read on her. You know. Yes. So now why do you think, maybe I feel like I missed something or don't understand something. Why would it be a financial disaster? I was curious about that too. I mean, I, we, we forgot to ask Tom about that. I know. I, yeah. I didn't think of maybe it. Maybe it's like, what is it? Like the story be, be, uh, behind the story, maybe. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We also uh, get some time with Maddie. She meets Harry at the park and he wants to let her know what happened with Herrick and how, you know, all the law enforcement colleagues are not happy about him, you know, working for the defense. So she may hear stuff about that. And uh, it was kind of funny where the first thing she said is, what did you do now? Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's a good line. <laughs> you never know with Harry. But she when they're at the park, she gets a message from the DA's office and she has to go back to the station, which I guess just almost time for her shift. Anyway, Deputy District Attorney Anna Kaiser is there and she's a victim witness coordinator and she wants to speak with Maddie. So she encourages Maddie to. She hopes that she'll be at the sentencing. She hopes that she'll do her victim impact statement. But Maddie tells her, you know, she's not a victim and they don't really talk any further. So we don't really know where Maddie's going to go with this. And she seems to be struggling with how her scenario compares to the rape victims. I think she just so much does not want to diminish what they went through. And her situation was so much more high profile because she... As a police officer, it got all that media attention and everything. But, you know, she's saying, hey, they what they went through was worse. You know, mine got a lot of attention, but what they went through was worse. So I think that's how I'm reading it is that she in saying that she's not a victim, that she doesn't want to minimize what the other victims went through. Is that how mm-hmm. you kind of read it? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's in a, in a way she almost had it worse. I mean, she almost died yeah i mean you could look at it all all sorts of ways and you know everybody would have a different opinion but yeah it's kind of like it you know part of me is like is she really is that her motivation in in kind of struggling with this or is she maybe using that as not an excuse but as a reason not to proceed with the statement you know does she is that what she's really feeling or is she trying to the coping mechanism yeah yeah Yeah. you know it's just so complicated and and she's just been through so much. You, you you can't really tap into how she might really be feeling. But obviously she's conflicted and, and traumatized in, in so many ways. We do get a scene with her getting ready for a shift. And Vasquez asks, you know, how she's doing because she seems distracted. And she also tells Maddie, and don't worry, you know, I won't say anything about your dad, you know. And Maddie pretty clearly yeah you just did you know she tells her you just did say something so she brought it up even though she wasn't saying something negative about harry she brought up the fact that people are saying negative things about him so i don't think maddie wanted to hear any of that so Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about that scene where she has like a i mean you call it a daydream but to me you can't call this a daydream when because it's just more like a nightmare but it it does happen during the day so yeah exactly yeah because we see the next scene where Maddie and Vasquez they just pulled over a pulled over a truck. You know, Vasquez walks up on the passenger side. This scene kind of reminded me of the uh, or season one with uh, Paulina and yeah, her I thought about that, that too. Scene. Yeah, you saw the same thing. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So Vasquez holds up the four fingers, basically mentioning it's a code four, meaning everything's under control. Mm-hmm. And so you see Maddie start walking up to the to the driver's side of the truck but you see the person's hand outside of the truck kind of drumming his fingers on the side of the truck as he's waiting maddie approaches the door slowly asking for his license or registration and then she comes up next to the door the camera pans to the side of the driver and he's wearing a luchador mask and then you see the driver pulling it off and it's doc wilder behind the 
behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. Maddie looks scared, backs off, pulls her gun, and aims it to the back of the window of the truck. And then all of a sudden, we see it was just Maddie having a, a day mare, I guess is how you... How <laughs> yeah, you, what do you call that? Because Yeah, she's it's, she's Boy. in her, her everyday clothes, her civilian clothes. So, you know, this nightmare, daydream, whatever you want to call it, was, you know, she was in uniform. So clearly yeah. with, this is, you know, not real. And yeah, I, I, I found every time I watch it, it still freaks me out. And I don't know, I think part of it is I, I have a hard time with things like not knowing exactly when they're going to happen. Like I know she's going to walk up to the window and that he's going to turn and you're going to see him in the mask. But it's like, it's that when he makes that turn of his head to face her, it really, it really startles me. And since I don't, you know, have it timed and know exactly when he's going to do it, it just still bothers (laughs) me every time. And what's funny too is upon, you know, second, third watch, whatever, when she's walking up, you can see his head in the window mm-hmm. that he's that someone is wearing a mask i mean if you're really paying yep. attention then you can see the mask but i didn't notice that at all the first time i watched it you know yeah, that didn't that didn't right. register at all with me yeah well they had they had me going on this scene the way it was the way it was shot camera and everything uh-huh. i thought the actual stop that maddie was just oh me too know, seeing the guy you know seeing doc weiler I thought it was right. Stop, and then when it goes where it's like, oh shoot, oh thank God, it was just a daydream. I'm thinking to myself, oh great, Maddie's gonna shoot some innocent guy behind the vehicle here. Same here. (laughs) I thought that it was a a a legitimate. It was a a, the reality was she was making a stop, going up to the the car or the truck, but but her mind played a trick on her, and she saw him instead of the real person. I totally thought the same thing. Yeah. So they really had me going here in this scene. I'm like, yeah. kudos to the way it was filmed or, or yeah. whatever. I mean, it was just really good job on right. the, on their part. I, I agree. And we should mention, I, I didn't mention up front, our writer and director for this episode. Uh, the writer is Emily Ragsdale, and the episode is directed by Alex Zakrewski. So uh, yeah, kudos to, to, to both of them for their part in that scene. Because yeah, it did, did kind of get get us on multiple levels yeah yes um, well even so, on my second watch through it still feels like it's a real stop and yeah i'm like oh that's right she's just daydreaming so, so. <laughs> yeah so after a few times it's like oh, okay yep this is the daydream sequence here <laughs> so this is you know this is all definitely showing us that maddie is still dealing with a lot i mean i, I can't I feel like she will forever. It's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. But you you do wonder when is it going to get a little bit easier? But because this is this is a lot of stuff. The yes. trouble sleeping, like we talked about in the, earlier with you know, other episodes with the gun under a pillow and trouble sleeping, being distracted, having these you know nightmares in the middle of the day on her shift. Mm-hmm. You know, it is is not really safe either. Yes. You know, I mean, is she supposed to be on the lookout for someone when this happens, or you know, I don't know. Yeah, you got it. You got to feel for her, no doubt. I just want to jump in with, uh, you know, Vasquez saying what she did, you know, that she knows that Maddie has a lot on her plate, but she has, she wants to live through this shift. So either wake up or go home. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. That, yeah, what we were just saying. Yeah, there's a safety yeah. issue. Yep. Absolutely. There as well. No, that's a good point. I forgot about her saying that. So, you know, as we talked about earlier, Honey does go to her client, goes to David and his wife, mm-hmm. and they're meeting at the prison, and she's talking about a plea offer and what that would mean, and, you know, a reduced charge, reduced sentence, 
But she reminds him that if you did something like that, even the people closest to you would probably still be wondering if he actually did it, you know. And also she points out that just need one juror to doubt his guilt and think that he's innocent. So, uh, but he's just really stressed, obviously, because there's DNA involved. So no one has figured out how to not so much how to get around that, but how did it happen? And yep. you know how to how to dis- how do you disprove his guilt when you, when you've got there? So, but Honey says you know that she's working on a she calls it an alternative theory about the crime and just you know encourages him to think about you know both sides of it. So his wife is really pushing for him to go to trial, and he does finally agree that that's that's what he'll that's his choice you know mm-hmm. his decision do you think that the wife's plea to him to to go to trial do you think that was a big factor in convincing him or do you think he would have come to that conclusion on his own how'd you feel about that scene i think it was a couple different things because didn't honey at at some point in there tell him that they were working on an alternate scenario involving two killers as well Mm-hmm. So I, I know that uh, I'm pretty sure with the wife being there it probably helped kind of nudge him over you know that line where it's like okay let's you know not accept this plea offer hoping he would have come to that term himself too because of the fact that he knows he's innocent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what Harry's doing. He is uh, doing the work of an investigator. Absolutely. So- one thing he, he puts Mo on assignment to review a big uh, stack of phone logs for mm-hmm. Lexi Park, and he wants him to narrow down any calls related to her watch. As we saw him in the last episode, he looked at the watch case, took a picture of the receipt, and the you know just recalling that she had the tan line there, so it was a watch that she used, but yet it was not found at the at the crime scene of the 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 jewelry box was empty and Mo knows that this is not a, certainly not an exciting task, very tedious. And he he jokes with Harry that does he realize that some people have a private life? So (laughs) Harry, like we always said, he's a dog with a bone. So private life kind of goes out the window when he (laughs) wants something done and wants the information. So of course, Mo obliges and he gets to work on it. Then Harry meets up with Pierce and Vega again. And they're not, as last time, they're not so thrilled about talking to him. Do you yep. want to talk about that exchange? Yes, they. Uh, Vega tells Pierce that it's a slippery slope with Bosch. If they keep <laughs> saying yes, he'll just keep asking for favor. <laughs> yeah. So they have... What was it? I think they were talking about the spot where they found or where James Allen's body was found, I think. Yeah, the lo- actual location. Yeah. Yeah. And how, you know, they were talking about how up to three years before he was constantly getting popped for petty crimes. Bosch thinks it's because he had a guardian angel and asked who were the last cops to bust him. Pierce said that they were just waiting on the booking reports to know who the last officers to bust him were. Mm hmm. I, so Bosch looks over the murder book, even takes photos on his phone from, you know, from pictures from the, for the mur- murder book himself. And you can kind of see Pierce and kind of Vega exchanging, <laughs> exchanging looks where it's like, oh, great. You know, he's taking this evidence and putting it into his phone. Will this come up, 
come Making back. Making copies. Yes. So they see the photos of the body dump and from inside the hotel or from inside the motel room before it was cleared out. And Pierce points out the industrial size condom container that used to be in Alan's room. Mm-hmm. Was that Rainbow Pride? I think. Because yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Lots of different colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just kind of curious. I mean, I was, I think I put it on, I think I have it as an interrogation question, so we can get to the end, or ask that at the end, I think, so. Okay, if you want, okay, that works. And Harry also notices from those photos that there's no defensive wounds on Alan's body, so it appears that he was not conscious when he was strangled. Yep, or dumped, right? Did they they say something about no drag marks either? Oh, hmm. Was that later on? I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> you, you might be right. I'd, I'd have to go back and check for sure. But yeah. he's definitely taking a look at at the body and seeing what that and tells stuff. him. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So yeah, and Harry of course it. points out that his his hotel room is now empty, and they're looking at photos in the murder book of his hotel room um, with its contents. But yeah, now it's empty. At this point, they yep. don't know who emptied it out but harry keeps up with his investigative work it's uh, it's getting darker now and he does go to that physical location where the body was found and he tries to get inside the building and talk to potential witnesses you know that may have Mm -hmm. heard something possibly even seen something uh from a window and uh there is a lady that lets him in he has to go upstairs and she says she doesn't remember anything, but that her grandson, her dos matadores. So she brings the, the grandson comes in and talks to Harry and says, yes, he says that he, he did hear what would have been the body landing on the ground. And then he heard two car doors close before the vehicle pulled away and the vehicle had a loud rumbling engine. Mm. So we've heard that before. A car with a loud rumbling engine. So, of course, Harry needs to get this information back to Honey. So he tells her there might actually be two killers. And and he points out that, you know, like we talked about, that James Allen was probably unconscious uh, when he was strangled. And he Mm -hmm. says he, you know, implores her to make sure that the DNA analyst checks the crime scene DNA for any trace evidence. So, you know, we're wondering, could Foster's DNA have been planted at the scene via a condom we just saw a big container of condoms we know he was in a relationship with james allen so they can look for condom trace evidence within the actual dna so probably to the point where you could even tie it to a brand maybe yeah i think so okay i'm not a forensic investigator but i think that's kind of how it works so (laughs) yeah Neither am I. <laughs> so, so, I mean, Harry had a pretty busy day. He got, you know, he knocked on yeah. a lot of doors, so to speak. Absolutely. So good on him. So Mo has d- decided that he wants to, to help Jade. So they get together. They start talking about their younger days. He wants to know what her handle was when she was younger. And it was A+. Mm-hmm. And she had, sure enough, been expelled for changing some friends' grades. Not her own. She points that <laughs> not out. Her not, her, not her own. Uh, sounds like maybe she didn't need to change her own. <laughs> but and she wants to know about what Mo was called. And, you know, he shares that his mom called him Maurice. So I, he's basically telling her his given name is yep. Maurice. Mm-hmm. Have we heard anybody call him Mo- Maurice in the show? Ooh. We've 
I don't think Harry ever has. I, th I think we've heard. I think Harry has said it once. One time, maybe. Okay. I think in season one, I think there was a Maurice. I believe. Oh, okay. I'm not, okay. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Yeah. Okay. Because I like I we all know that's his name, but I, I, you know, I was like, have I ever heard someone use it? Okay. Yeah, but I can't remember for sure. I mean, I've I probably haven't watched Legacy season one or season two as many times as I've watched the original right seven, yeah seven seasons so yeah yeah we'll we'll catch up but we're not there yes. yet that's right yeah but i did like the conversation that uh jade and mo were talking about where uh-huh he asked him what he went went by before rico spider and he goes oh, right just mo and she goes oh just mo like gizmo he's like oh, no yeah. not, not just mo just mo you know nice <laughs> and smooth you know yeah so because I, I remember i think jade mentioned the uh like a who's on first routine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Gets confusing. A little, a little classic comedy there. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I wonder if kids these days know that reference, you know, like at what age do you not know the who's on first reference or does mm. everybody get it That's eventually? So. That'd be a good actual, just a poll question. I could throw that would be a good. Yeah, we should. Throw on yeah. Bosch, but I, who, who, who all knows the who's on first routine? You, just throw that out there. You don't even put, don't even put the have costello one on there yeah do you know what that was referring to yeah that's a good that's a good poll question so he tells her that he wants to help her with mm -hmm. this medical records issue and she's just shocked she's like you know this is a pharmaceutical company how you know what makes you think you could you know bypass that kind of security but she doesn't know mo i guess as well as we do right because nope he's good so yeah and he um, says he loves the challenge. Yes, <laughs> and I think that that is true. So, should we just get into Mo's mission? Oh, please, that's awesome. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, start us off with that. I will. I just, I, I think I wrote. Do you write down the guy's name he he talks to and gets? No, I just to? call him his yeah. escort, the building escort. Okay, good. Because <laughs> uh, I, I don't recall. Actually, I think I just, when I was watching it this morning or last uh -huh. night when I did the watch through, I think I paused it on the guy's name. Yes. Yeah, so Mo dresses up as a uh, building inspector or fire inspector, right? Yeah. He's an inspector. So, and yeah, and the, the inspection he's doing is normally done by the, the fire department, but perhaps right. this contract company, it's called IOTA. Maybe they do multiple kinds of inspections. Yes. Um, who knows? So Mo dresses up as the inspector to gain access to the to well, basically the whole building. The whole building, yeah. Yeah, he has a he has an escort that'll walk him through, and he even says, you know, I gotta stay with you at all times. And Mo's like, I'll go wherever you go. <laughs> you know, like smooth Mo, you know. And yeah. They, they're talking, and at one point, I think they were in like a like a basement. They're talking about a motor or something like that on maybe a air conditioning unit. Who knows? Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know what they were looking at, but uh, but when Mo goes to walk out of the out of the room, the guy asks him, "Aren't you going to you know sign that or you know it's like, log it? Are you going to log, log it? Yeah." It, right? And Mo's like, "Good. I was just testing you because you know not too many people or not too many people have me you know sign off on it." And this guy, "Well, not me," you know, type of thing. See, that's what we did right. at the beginning of the podcast when we said, do you know what VIG means? That was a test. 
Yes. There, there you go. You go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, he was so smooth with that. He was so smooth. Oh, yeah. I was just doing this. T- Most people don't catch that. Yeah, first, because it's like you kind of see his eyes kind of like, kind of like widen a little bit. It's yeah. Like, it's like an oh shit, but then he uh-huh. recovered so quickly. Yeah. It's like, you know, what, could I even recover like that? I mean, I'm not, I know. I'm not, I'm not going around posing as inspectors or anything, but, <laughs> but, uh, so he notices that the guy is using a, a key badge to get access to elevators and rooms and stuff like that. So good way of get of a way to, to clone that card is how he was trying to gain access to the IT room. Mm-hmm. He uh, shows a picture of the, of his nieces and nephews from his sister's kids and asks the guy if he's ever, if he has kids or not. And, and then at one point they're talking, just BSing football stuff and, well, did you and notice then, that he he leans in with the picture, so yes. that allows his equipment or whatever's inside his bag to yeah the reader some kind yeah of some reader kind of reader thing, I guess right? yeah to read and pull those credentials off yep. of his his badge. So I thought that was pretty cool how he used the picture sharing to uh, you know just to lean in to get just close enough to, to yeah, pull exactly. that data. That was pretty smooth. Yeah, exactly. I think I put. I think I put the. Eh, I think I put that in there. What was it? Good way. Oh, I didn't put the smooth way. Dang it. Oh well. <laughs> but it was smooth. I, I did like how he did that. So at one point they're looking at the fire extinguishers on some of the pillars and one of the offices asks if he can use the restroom. Yeah, he's and they're up on the Farmerwell floor at this point. Yeah, Farmerwell floor. Yeah. Uh, when they got up onto that level, he noticed that right by the bathroom is the room that he has to gain access to an IT. Was it IT? Like and, a telecom um, IT room. Yep. And then, uh, so he has to use the bathroom after after doing some inspecting. You know, he can't just go. Oh, I need to use the bathroom mm-hmm. right away. You know, you got to go do a few spots, do a few areas. At one point, he sees a whole bunch of boxes stacked up by a door and tells the guy, you know, these have to be cleared. It has to be, mm-hmm. you know has to be ex accessible for him and yep. guy thanks him for cutting him a break um so once when he has to says he has to go to the bathroom he goes into the bathroom initially just so he can clone the card onto his a card that he was going to use to gain access to that telecom it room so he goes out peeks around the corner guy's still distracted looking on his phone so he goes into the it room uh, connects he connects the device to multiple plugins before getting the green light on the tablet device. Then he quotes a line from a from the movie Ghostbusters when he says, "Light is green, tap trap is clean." So I was just curious if you picked up on that little reference there too on your first watch through. Was that Ghostbusters? Yes. Okay, I thought so. I I wasn't I didn't like look it up, but I was like, I think that's Ghostbusters. Yep, I, I said I think that's Ghostbusters, and I think I either I did look it up or I just I just knew instinctively. Yeah, I watched Ghostbusters a lot when I was growing up. So I love that movie. So, but the whole time he's in the IT room, you just you're just waiting for the guy to either bust in the room or go into the bathroom to look where. Mo yeah, is. yeah. You know, I was just on the edge of my seat, you know, hoping that Mo wouldn't get busted. You keep feeling like um, this is taking too long. Like hurry yes. up. <laughs> yes, and at some point you see the guy kind of, you know, kind of looking like, well, oh, where the yeah. heck is this guy? You know, mm-hmm. it's like you've been in there for how long? So he starts to walk <laughs> around the corner, and just then Moe's coming out of the IT room. And I, I like this part too. <laughs> you know, 
He goes, dude, you're out of towels. That's a major co- code violation. The guy goes, are you serious? He's like, nah, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah. messing with you. Now let's go wanted... check out the, uh, was a fire panels or something. Yeah. Well, next. he wanted to, he wanted to know why did it take you so long? And, and that was the, that was the problem. There were no paper yep. towels. <laughs> so yeah, after that, uh, I don't know what device he was plugging into that, into those, uh, plugins yeah. or those ports there but but it's a way for him to kind of hack the system we know that yeah so he tells he ends up calling jade he's he's pleased with his progress and he calls mm-hmm. her and tells her that he planted a jump box you know at the facility at Farmerwell, and and she's just stunned and he says you know but he still has to get the like the ex-boyfriend's credentials to be able to get those actual records and jade you know she's like well how are you gonna do that you know and again most not telling us how he does it but he seems you know pretty sure that he's got this will have this under control you know that he can do Mm -hmm. it so yeah she apparently didn't think he had that many skills so but yeah we, we get to see more of his skills this season which was nice you know Mm -hmm. i mean i mean even in the beginnings beginning two episodes where he's trying to figure out doc weiler and where maddie potentially Mm -hmm. is you know we we did to see more of kind of what he does you know yeah besides helping besides helping harry go through a a crap ton of paperwork (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 it it was good because we've seen him do these little um like you know taking on an alias or you know playing a role to get something but it's just been short spurts you know and this was yeah. like a full day of of doing yep. that so it felt like so all right well it's evening time and honey and harry are visiting this um i don't know if it's just a bar or if it's a club um but it's called the well and that's where we saw james allen originally picking up the client the night that he disappeared so but so he apparently that's a, a venue that he frequent frequented for selling drugs and for um getting clients so they talked to the bartender and we find out he's the one who cleaned out alan's room there's you know it's emptied out now he was holding on to his stuff to give to his family but apparently he i guess they were good friends and he's having a hard time actually handing them over because that you know makes it seem more permanent uh, yep. that he's gone but uh they ask about this guy matt and the bartender tells him that he's a regular so he should be around so harry hangs out to try to talk to matt honey leaves and matt does show up and bosh talks to him and basically tells the story that we saw happen on screen that they um, they left the the bar. They went to the hotel room. There was bright headlights coming through the window, a loud vehicle. Alan went outside right away and did not return. And then you mm-hmm. know, this guy, Matt, said he wasn't going to hang out either because it sounded like something bad could be going on. He was, you know, really sketchy, suspicious. So, you know, he didn't hang around either to, yep. to see what may have happened. Yeah. So Harry gets that story firsthand that, you know, we have we saw on screen. So like probably the same night, um, you know, Honey is back at home and Maddie shows up at her door and uh, she wants to talk to Honey about whether she should go through with attending the sentencing, with giving um, a victim impact statement. And I, I feel like the, the biggest takeaway for me 
from this as far as honey's advice was whatever you do don't let him have power over you or control over you doc weiler you know like you decide it's your decision don't do or not do something because of him or any of his influence and then they do have you know this kind of bittersweet moment where maddie asked honey if she was close to her mom and Mm -hmm. or if she had been and does she ever just wish she could just call her up and ask her for advice you know we know maddie's feeling like she would like to do that with her mom so it's it's always hard for me when eleanor's name comes up or even not her name just the 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 the, the idea of her you know as her mother is is always tough that's, you know such an emotional thing but in regard to honey's advice you know basically maddie's coming to her for advice is that kind of what you took away from what she had to share or did you pick up on anything else that she offered her well it was great advice i think yeah it was kind of it was a really good scene between the two characters because i think maddie's kind of sees honey as a as the mom figure since Mm -hmm. eleanor's been killed so i think i think she just needed like a verbal guidance Mm -hmm. type of Mm -hmm. thing so yeah like i said it it was a good moment between the two characters it's something that we've never really seen from from either one of them you know it's yeah. you know maddie was either working for her mm-hmm. or they're kind of friendly but in this scene we see that you know honey takes maddie's hand mm-hmm. and tells her that she's under a lot of pressure but at the end of the day she should make her statement only if it feels best for her mm-hmm. so it was uh just an emotional scene it, it really was, was it was yeah no doubt. So, and I think I put on some note. I I wrote down a note here, but it's like because the scene was so emotional, you probably wouldn't have had wanted. You probably wouldn't have wanted to push it any further. Mm-hmm. But one of the one of the, one of the notes I wrote down. This is only after a first or second watch through of the of the episode. Was that I was thinking at the time that where it's like this would have been a good spot to kind of have that moment, like a flashback to where Bosch and Maddie were having pan- pancakes. At Dupar's in season one, uh-huh. Harry tells her that you know that that you only get one mother. Oh that, yeah, you know, yeah. That she's just trying to make you safe and move in the right direction, you know, and you don't want to blow with her because once she's gone, you know, the world becomes a cold, hard, dark place type of thing. I was thinking about that, you know, it would have been a nice kind of flashback scene in there, mm-hmm. but I'm like, no, I, I kind of like how it was just the two characters here. Yeah, you know, now well, that that's I'm thinking from about the scene more. Another one that comes to mind is when she's filling out all of that financial paperwork oh, and yes. and Eleanor tells her directly, you know, I, I won't be here forever, you know, yep. and that, that, that you, you made me think about, well, that there was that scene too. That's true. Yeah. But, but, I, uh, I but that would feel like, su- like you said, that would feel like super sad and super harsh, you know, yes. almost in this moment to recall those things too. Cause obviously she was struggling and, reaching out to a mother figure so yeah you know like i said it was a great moment with these two characters maddie and honey and i just think that maddie just needed some of the some advice like this to, to kind of push mm-hmm. her in the right direction well i think the fact that this scene even makes us makes you and me and other viewers think about those other scenes says a lot about the storytelling like these yeah. things have made a big impression on the viewers and um we we do recall them so mm-hmm. whether they do it in the scene or not i think it's pretty 
important and you know impressive that that we recall those ourselves yeah. so well i think it's the, the the very next day i think is the sentencing um do you want to talk about what happens yes yes oh powerful scene powerful mm-hmm. scenes so the next day we see bosh outside the courthouse uh, calling maddie's phone but it goes to voicemail uh, inside the courtroom, it looks like everybody's kind of waiting around for Maddie to arrive. When she walks in, she sits down, and then I think it was the DA Emmett said that they're, you know, they're they're going to listen to the impact statement from Maddie. Mm-hmm. So she takes the lectern to read her statement, and during the statement, she mentions that she's been in denial because she wasn't raped like the other victims. And she brings up all the things that Doc Weiler did to her and says that Doc Weiler was attempting to do while she was being buried alive was be used as a bargaining chip to get the rape charges dropped because he is a coward and a rapist. And I like how he, she, I think she mentions it three times saying he's a coward a and a rapist. Let's just call him what he is, you know, type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And then uh, she mentions that she doesn't sleep. She's jumpy, sleeps with the light on and a gun under her pillow, but she considers herself lucky because she wasn't violated like his other victims. At one point, she even, you know, demands that he looks at her. Yeah. And she says that, uh, I know this was before, she says that what he's done to them isn't who they are just because something evil happened to them. Bad luck. But what he did to them is what he is, and he deserves every bad thing that happens to him in prison until the day he dies. Mm -hmm. You know, and she, uh, what is it, says that she put her in a box, but he buried himself. I mean, it was just an incredible scene by Madison Lynn's incredible statement. Mm -hmm. We brought it up with Tom Bernardo about, you know, how the scene was written and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So Yeah. Yeah, it it was... It was very, very, very powerful and heartfelt, but kind of poetic too. You mm-hmm. know, it was like just really, really well done. And just her, like her emphasis, like you said, when she describes him, you know, she doesn't yep. hold any punches, you know, she calls him what he is and it, it, it was well done. Mm-hmm. And obviously Harry's, you know, proud of her and, and just, you know, hopeful that it was, helpful to her too and and they they both yes. agree that it, it did help some that and it's kind of like i feel like you know we were talking in the beginning of this podcast episode even you know where where is maddie how far along is she in you know in her recovery or whatever you know you want to call it mm-hmm. the aftermath of this horrific incident and it almost feels like with this scene we almost get a little bit of a check mark like okay we're one step further like they yep. both say, you know, it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't take away the trauma and the fears, but it does help. And they, you know, they both yep. agreed to that. And so it almost just felt like a very specific notation, I guess, of, of progress, you know, um, which is encouraging for her. Cause we, you know, we want yep. her to continue to go in that direction. So. Yeah. yeah is it okay if I bring up the, just the last two scenes that we see her in, in this episode, is that okay? Yeah. Uh-huh. We just kind of go forward a little bit because I think it's in the same day where we see Maddie and Rico talking in the break room. Uh, she tells them that she's mm-hmm. meeting with the realtor mm-hmm. after shift to look at some places. Rico offers to drive her and get in and out burger, but she tells them this is something that she has to do on her own. And then we see her in the locker room 
you know, Vasquez comes in and apologizes to Maddie that she didn't make it to the hearing, but she heard she, she crushed it. You know, Maddie says that she's glad it's behind her, and Vasquez tells Maddie that she can talk to her. I don't, I, what, what, I can't remember how Matt, Vasquez kind of phrased it. She kind of, kind of like a. It's like if you ever need to talk, basically, you know, yeah. she's but available. She's like, I, might not, I might not say it or I might not show it, but you can talk to me. Type mm -hmm. of thing. And it seems like we see that this burden's kind of been lifted from Maddie's shoulders because we see earlier in the episode where she kind of snapped at Vasquez about, mm -hmm. you know, True. Well, you just did bring up Bosch and the dark side thing. and Yeah. And now she just kind of looks like she's ready to get back to work and looks a lot less pissed off and ang or angry at the world, which is mm -hmm. great. I mean, that's what we want to see mm -hmm. from Maddie. Yeah. So, that's, that's, that's... yeah, but we didn't see why Vasquez Vasquez didn't didn't say what she how she missed the uh, missed the hearing. But hey, you know, life comes up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? Um... So, but I, I just like how we see a different different sides of the same coin type of thing in this episode for Maddie. Yeah. Or, that's a you good know, point. At the beginning of the episode, she's distracted, she's pissed off, she's angry, and now we get to see that she's feels like she's been lightened a little bit. So yeah, it's a visible lightening of of that yeah. load. Yeah, and that's, it had to that's very good kind observation. Of, kind of both. I know. I mean, I, I know. I know. Obviously, the victim impact statement made a big difference for her in this episode, but I think it was also that talk with Honey the night before. Yeah. Too. Oh, sure. So, I agree. I agree. Um, oh, just a great, great job by Madison in this episode. It really was for sure. I, I've been, I think I say that in every episode. <laughs> every yeah. episode just keeps going further and further. It's like, damn, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a big arc for her, no definitely. doubt. Um, for that character. Well, uh, Mo was able to find some calls. Related to Lexi Parks's watch, mm -hmm. there there was a call to the Wanna Buy a Watch store four days before she was murdered, um, yep. and uh, just within minutes of that call, she called the repair shop, and then she ended up making a subsequent call back to Wanna Buy a Watch. So Bosch wants to get some information here about what these calls were about, you know, uh, what went down. And so he goes to the store to want to buy a watch and he meets Peter when one of the two brothers that own the store and he's mm -hmm. not given up much information, you know, just kind of pointing out that there's confidentiality with customers and so forth. But Harry, Harry leaves his card. And when does one thing he does tell him is that the watch was, you know, they got it from an estate sale and then sold it to the customer that purchased mm -hmm. it. So, you know, it gives up a little information, but he also asks Harry about his badge and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just a little confrontational, I guess, kind of mm -hmm. more so from Peter Wynn's side than Bosch. Bosch is pretty chill. Yeah. Talking to him. Yeah, you I kind of noticed that too. Yeah. So uh, but Harry, you know, like I said, he leaves the card and as uh, he walks away, he hears the creak in the floor uh, as Peter's walking in the other direction. And, you know, I I, I'm, I remembered that right away is that's where the safe was in the floor. Did you notice that? 
Oh, I didn't notice that. No. Yeah, I, a... I mean, yeah, he like he he's Harry's walking out, and you and Peter's walking that same direction, like behind the jewelry case, and you kind of hear just a little bit of creak in the floor, okay. and Harry kind of turns his head, and that just reminded me that's where they went in the floor when they put the cash the episode yeah. before. So. I'll have to I'll have to pay more attention when I or not pay more attention. I'll have to I'll have to remember to go back and look for that ear and eye open for that when that yeah. happens. I watch it next time. Yeah, see if see if you see it the same way. So yeah, Harry walks out, and sure enough, Ellis and Long are across the street watching him, and they're tracking, of course, still tracking his location, and they look at where he's headed. Mm-hmm. Long is getting stressed out about Bosch's, you know, his whole interest in in the watch store. You know, it's it's uh he feels like he's getting close to something. Yes. And um is you know sharing expressing that to Ellis, who's doesn't seem as as stressed about it just yet. But then they notice the other brother, Paul, when arriving to the store, and then there's some serious action. So yep. why don't you pick up there? Yeah, so inside we cut to the inside of Wanna Buy a Watch where Paul tells Peter to relax, but then they hear the back door being broken into mm-hmm. and then uh paul tells or no it was it peter tells paul it's like you know so you want me to relax type of thing when you know mm-hmm. all of a sudden this happens yeah uh, so ellis point blank points his gun at uh peter win and tells paul that if he doesn't tell him what all they told bosh he's gonna say goodbye to his brother i think it's the other way paul. around oh is it peter, peter peter's the one that talked to bosh so he points the gun at Paul. Yeah. No, I mean, Sorry. not that it uh, definitely matters, but yeah. If you want to keep the, the name straight, yeah, he points the yes. gun at Paul, who seems to be the older brother. That's right. Okay. And tells yeah. Peter, yeah, you better tell me everything tell you said Peter to this guy. Everything you said. And Peter's really, really quick to, to say, you know, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. all he did was ask about the watch. And, you know, that's all I told him, I swear, type of thing. And Ellis looks at him square in the eye and goes, I believe you, but then shoots his brother anyways. So brutal. I know. Shoots Paul in the face, shoots Peter in the chest, one shot each. And then we see them both breaking into jewelry cases to steal jewelry, make it look like a robbery. Yep. And uh, before they do come into the... I mean, they come, they break in, but they also unplug the security system. Oh, yeah, the camera or something. They disabled that. Disabled the camera system so that, uh, so when Alice comes through the doorway to point the gun at at Paul, you know, he pulls the ski mask off because he pulls it off. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then the episode ends right there with that. And it's like, jeez. They're just terrible. Now, did you find it odd? Not odd, but interesting odd, I guess. That you know, Long seemed stressed out about Harry being there, and Ellis seemed like he kind of was like, "We're not there yet," or something. Yeah. But what does that mean exactly? Because to me, when you go in and murder two people, that's pretty significant, you know. So yep. it, it almost felt like to me that he wasn't, you know, as maybe concerned as yeah. Long. But then to have that kind of reaction and go in and, and kill those guys, I'm like, were you just, you know, not being honest with Long or? No. Yeah, uh, showing or saying one thing, but yeah, thinking and doing another. Yeah, yeah. So, are you trying to act tough, man, or what? You know, because you're the worst. (laughs) Although, and then I think about Doc Weiler. I'm like, he's the worst. 
but they're the worst in another way. They all just suck really bad. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's where the episode closes, right? Yep. Oh, good episode all around. But I kind of noticed that we only see uh, Ellison Long those two times at the beginning of the episode and at the end of the episode. We didn't get any episode. Oh, yeah. They kind of bookend it this episode. Yeah, they kind of bookend bookend them in this episode. So that was one of the things I was kind of thinking of. It's like, okay, we see a bit more of them in episode five. You know, they're following Bosch around. They're planting the bug on his car. They're they're talking to the twins or the, you know, girls that work for Mm -hmm. them or whatever. So we see a bit, bit more of them in episode five. We see them bookended in this episode six. So it's like, well, I'm guessing next episode we're going to see a lot more of them then. Yeah, that would be a good prediction. Good prediction. Yeah. Um, I guess for like our interrogation, one one question I have for you is just really an opinion question. When Maddie does talk to Honey in that scene and, you know, she asks her about her mom. Do you think that that's in a little bit of a way of Maddie kind of letting honey know that she kind of thinks of her as a mother type figure and then on top of that do you think that if she was or do you think that that would be new information to honey like because honey acts like a mother figure but do you think honey feels like maddie thinks of her that way you know like you can you can you can be something for someone or you know kind of play that role um, but not necessarily know if that person wants that or feels the same way. You can still offer that to them. So is she was she aware that Maddie kind of felt that way about her? And was Maddie kind of letting her know that she felt that way about her in oh, that scene? Good question. I want to say that maybe Honey hadn't had a feeling, possibly. Mm-hmm. So I th- think we've heard Maddie say it in the past episode or in season seven. Or maybe episode or season one of Legacy, something like that. Mm-hmm. Can't remember. I think she told it, said it to Antonio or or Bosch. Okay. But uh, anyways, so maybe Honey was thinking, maybe there was that that kind of a connection with with between Maddie. Them. Yeah. Between them, but I think this one or this moment between them kind of solidified that because I know we've seen them talk friendly you know they're talking about cases and stuff like that especially mm-hmm. when maddie was working for honey in season six well yeah season six and seven so so yeah i think this is the first time we actually like i said it's the first time we kind of see him talking like this it's not about mm-hmm. work it's not about a case it's about life you know so it's, it's like completely personal there's no other element yeah. to it yeah yeah, yeah. So I think maybe, yeah, maybe this is the spot where Honey officially knows that that Maddie kind of sees her, sees her as a as a mother figure. So that's a good, that was a good, great, great question. Yeah, if my mouth would work. Yeah. <laughs> ah, let's see here. I, I had a few questions for you, but did uh, would you did you feel that way then, or did you answer the question? Or your uh, own yeah, question? I, yeah, I didn't answer my own question, but but yes, I kind of I kind of felt like this was not necessarily a turning point because the relationship the way it is was was already there but it was i felt like a little bit more was said in this scene that kind of solidified for for both parties to know Mm -hmm. that you know this is kind of a thing that they have that they they share yeah that type of relationship so 
Well, that's good. Great question. So I had a few. So because we see Ellis and Long kind of her bookends of the episode, mm-hmm. the scene at the beginning where they're they're getting the payment from Dr. Schubert. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we don't know if they're doing this to everyone. Are they ramping up everybody's payments and stuff like that? Right. So then I wrote down the first or second time I watched through was this, it's like, is this Ellis and Long kind of planning ahead, you know, kind of an e- exit strategy, ramping up everybody's payments most likely? Hmm. You kind mm-hmm. of think the same thing as me with that one. I didn't really think of it as any sort of exit strategy. I just uh, expect to see them being worse and worse over time like almost every time i've seen them on screen i'm like you know it makes me ill and then then they just seem to what their behavior seems to ramp up is every episode more so than than i was thinking about ramping up payments but you know Mm -hmm. i just no i I didn't really i didn't really think of them as any kind of exit strategy but that's an interesting point possibility because i kind of thought about that with the payments at the beginning and then Taking mm-hmm. care of Peter and Paul at the end, it's like, well, they're are they t- tying up loose ends here? Yeah. Or, I mean, they're just trying to trying to get as much money as they can before you know they they're either dominate. tying up something or covering <laughs> up something. Who knows? They yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, let's see here. And this is kind of a an opinion based question too from for for you. Well, I guess the first one was too. So so Mo showing the picture of his uh, sister's kids to his uh, escort for the day or for the, you know, inspection. Uh-huh. You feel like it was a real, you know, his real f- uh, sister's kids or just a made up picture. Uh, so Mo is showing a picture of his kids or his nieces and nephews saying, yeah. you know, that his sister I, had kids. Yeah. You know. I could see him. I could see him having a picture of um, his nieces and nephews. He seems like that kind of uncle, mm-hmm. you know? And so I could see him having that, you know, in his wallet to, to utilize as needed for those kinds of things. But I, th- I think yeah. he would just, I think he would probably just carry something like that personally. Anyway, he just seems like the cool uncle, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he, I think he's mentioned his sister before too, hasn't he? Or maybe it was his mom. I can't that he's remember. Mentioned. I know it's so I hard. Know mom. I know it's like, because plus we've seen Mo for now almost a season and a half, mm-hmm. but it's like, we don't know much about his personal life other than, obviously he had parents but <laughs> maybe it was his uncle that he mentioned remember when he g- had the flower delivery van to get Bosch right. in season yeah. one of legacy like yeah I, th- I think maybe he said it was his uncle's yes. delivery van maybe right. yeah so we get like little glimpses from yes. Mo, um of family stuff but it would be fun to get even more so. yeah that's what I, that's why i'm kind of curious because i don't I don't know if this picture is real or just faked for the undercover mission that he had. Right, because he yeah he could have downloaded and you know exactly. photoshopped a picture that he he knows he's going to use that when he gets close you know when he needs to get close to him uh, or something he's already already had this plotted out so you know who knows who knows yeah, but exactly uh, yeah Mo seems to have a lot of it just seems like a lot of opportunity there to you know, peel the onion, so to speak. Like, we're kind of interested in what his family's like. We're kind of interested in what his romantic life is like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what skills does he have? I want to know where he learned these skills. I want, I would oh, love to get some yeah. backstory on that. Like, how did he get into this business? Has it just always been something he's been interested in? Or was there a particular yeah. incident or something that kind of spurred him on? So there's just so many things we could learn about Mo. And I say, keep yeah. it coming, you know, but. 
Alrighty. So person of interest, okay. you have you have somebody you want to bring up? I do. You like me to go first. I've noticed that. <laughs> well, I only have I only have one, but I'm hoping you don't have. Oh, okay. oh, this is gonna could could be a battle. Who knows? We could have the same one, by the way. It doesn't exactly. Matter. Different. I'm gonna, I'm going with Harry this time because he just he was busy. He was knocking on doors, mm-hmm. and he was doing his thing. You know, he just very industrious. I guess. Yeah. This episode and and getting some good intel and obviously clearly stirring up trouble with Ellison Long. You know, go, looking at the watch stuff is really uh, an issue He's for getting them. Too close. He's getting too close. Yeah, it's it's a problem for them for whatever reason. So. Yeah, he, well done, Harry Bosch, this episode. Exactly. So I keyed it a bit. I know we always try to do <laughs> characters, but I have to give this the performance of Madison Lintz's Madison Lintz in this episode was just incredible. Like I said, it was you see the two sides of the character in the episode mm-hmm. where he's feels like she has the weight of the world on her shoulders at the beginning half, then that after the impact statement especially the scenes inside the courtroom. So I, I had to keep just a little bit and not do a character, but the actress for Madison Lentz. Yeah. Great work. Great job. Mm-hmm. We, I applaud. I applaud the, the effort in this episode, especially. So for sure. Good choice. So if, I Good do, choice. if I had to do a character though, I'd probably pick Mo just because of <laughs> that Ghostbusters line in the IT. Room. For the Ghostbusters line. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was pretty classic. So now it's our off-duty time. So I'm going to throw that over to you, Mike. What do you have? Awesome. Well, I got to ask, what do you have for trivia this time? <laughs> if you have any I, trivia. I have a couple trivia questions. Yes, if if they're not already taken or something. So oh, go ahead. Fire you want me to go first? Okay. Yes, because right. I don't want to steal one of yours this time. <laughs> okay. What is Moe's alias on his ID for the nice. thing at Farmerwell? James Booker. Yes. Yeah. James Booker. <laughs> that we got a good shot of that ID badge. Yes. That was fun. Yes, we did. Like just looking at what all the the things were. Okay. I have another one. Where was the body dumped? Where was James Allen's body dumped? The alleyway, right? Oh, dang it. I did not write that one down. And <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head. So it was. At Eleanor and Vine. Eleanor and Vine. It's a funny, a funny our intersection because, well, I mean, with the Eleanor, you know, we get mm-hmm. Eleanor mm-hmm. Wish. Yeah, I know. Of nice. course, it made me think of that. Yeah. Nice. I didn't think of that when I, I, like I said, I didn't even write that down for the, for the, for the location of the body dump. So great question there. All Eleanor right. and Vine. Nice. Alrighty. So I'm going to ask you, let's see here. We always like mentions of areas around los angeles so Uh when maddie was going to look at places with the realtor which two parts of the city was maddie going to be looking at silver lake and los Feliz. nice great job i love that awesome and let's see here actually can i ask two questions these are two i wrote down of course kind of happy about okay so when mo is listening to jade's podcast she says she'll be interviewing a former hacker and mentions the hacker's name. Do you remember it off the top of your head? <laughs> I don't. I wish. I, I feel like I should have noticed that or made note of it. No. What was it? Okay. It was Faceless. 
Oh, that's, that's kind of a cool name. <laughs> I know, because I was listening listening to or watching and listening to the episode, and you kind of hear her talking, and it's like, it's this nice, sultry podcast voice. It is, and yeah. <laughs> and you get the faceless. I'm like, ooh, that's a good question. That's so, a good one. Oh, you okay, got me there. So, and this one's another Mo-related question. So when Mo and his escort, oh, I have the name written down here, Brian Fetzer. Okay. They're discussing the head coach of an NFL team, oh. which coach, and or what's the coach's name and the, the, the team that he coaches for? I remember the scene. I don't remember the names. I don't remember. Don't remember? Sorry. Okay, was, it, so, was it an L.A. team? Yes. Okay. Do you know the so team? So that's the, that, oh, that now they're the, um, they used, shoot, they used to, are they the L.A. Chargers now? Well, there's two. There are two. Oh, okay. Teams in L.A. So you have a 50-50 shot. <laughs> uh, all I can think of is the L.A. Chargers. What's the other okay. L.A. team? The L.A. Rams. They, oh, Los, they're back? Los Angeles. Yeah. Los Angeles Rams moved back from St. Louis. Oh, okay. So okay. They even share a stadium, SoFi Stadium. They both share. Wow. Like I'm... Jets and Giants share okay. a stadium. And, hmm. and then I'm the head coach... the times. That's yeah, okay. And then the head coach is Sean McVay. They were talking about McVay. You know, oh, and... okay. So which uh, team is I... that? That's the Rams. That's the, the Rams. Rams. Okay. Okay. All right. Can't... Well, <laughs> I forgot the Chargers head coach's name off the top of my head, anyway. So. I'm an NFL person, but I just kind of found it funny that Mo was just kind of, you know, agreeing with the guy, but you don't really know how much Mo actually knows about the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, that, like that would be news to us too. Oh, does, does Mo like football? But you know, it's what's the real reason that I was even thinking of the LA chargers is because they recently played Kansas city and I am totally obsessed with the Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey. Ah, there scenario. you go. <laughs> so. You can't escape it no matter where. Even on the So Many's podcast right yeah. here, you cannot escape the Travis Kelsey and you Taylor can't. Swift conversation. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. <laughs> Swifties, can I? Can we get some love out there from the Swifties? <laughs> yeah. Do we have any Swifties listeners? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Who knows? Crazy. Uh, I'll admit funny. it. I'm a little obsessed with it. So, but you know, I don't mind it. I don't, you know, it's bringing new. Well, that's that's nice. That's nice that you at least don't mind it because there are people Mm -hmm. that just are just so perturbed about the whole thing. I'm like, I didn't. I don't mind it. I don't. uh Don't care if it brings more viewers to the NFL. So be it. But I was just kind of a little bit heartbroken that when the Chiefs played here or closer for Minnesota, she wasn't there. Yeah. She didn't show up for Minneapolis in Minneapolis, even though she was here in concert. And from what I heard, it was a really awesome concert at the same venue where the Vikings play at us bank stadium. So I think that weekend was um, like the, the premiere of the, the era's movie or something, you know, and now we just lost five listeners who are sick of hearing us talking about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what well, we can't lose the only five you have no, i know <laughs> come back come back come back we'll, we'll talk about bosh again i swear <laughs> promise oh man That's funny Whew. well i think we that's have it fun. for we us fun we do have fun yes absolutely and for those of you that were hoping to listen to jay he had to step out but hopefully we'll get him back on a podcast and you can hear his voice again yes I, I hope i hope so too 
So stay tuned for Tom. Got some good information with Tom Bernardo. So tune in for that and we'll be back at you next time. See ya. See ya. Bye everybody. We're going to talk Bosch legacy. So (laughs) episode six. Yeah. You want to start us off, Mike? Oh, I suppose. Alrighty. <clears throat> Regarding uh, Maddie's victim impact statement, did you all consult with actual victims or look at actual statements to write the one that she read out for the show? First credit to the writer of that episode, Emily Ragsdale, one of our writer producers. As we were building the season out and breaking story, we started to sense that that victim impact statement, once we came up with that idea that it was going to fall in that episode, and I think either she had already been assigned or we started to feel like that's where she was going to come up in the lineup. And we knew we were in good hands. She's a very smart, thoughtful writer. So there felt felt something felt right about having her handle that episode. We didn't talk to any victims, but we did talk to both of our, our homicide detective consultants, Mitzi Roberts and uh, Tim Marsha not just to get the process of that, but to get their sense as, as they work. And with uh, Rachel Bowers, our, our district, uh, one of our uh, DAs here in LA, who also consults on the show. And she's had that experience of working with victims of, of these types of crimes. So between the three of them, we got some good input. And then Emily just went off and just wrote a, a terrific, very moving, beautiful mm-hmm. scene. And, and Madison... You know, I keep saying this, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it just speaks to how great she was this year. She mm-hmm. just went, you know, Ella was really great. No, she definitely did. It, it came together. It was it was powerful. Yeah. She kept saying more and more. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. You know, so that's mm-hmm. good. So when Harry and Honey talked to Matthew at, uh, in the restaurant, it felt a little like parents talking to their son, which was kind of fun, kind of amusing. <laughs> was the scene written at all with that sort of vibe in mind? I don't know if we went so much with the uh, parent to child. I think what we were thinking is they they have him in a really tough spot at this point. They've discovered that he's cooperating with the feds. They don't know why. And and they are able, obviously, with Mo's help to arrange for this sit down where they can blindside him. And, and they do. And then they get the truth of it all, how he was compromised, how he was really in an impossible situation, had to cooperate with the feds because he had sort of implicated himself. And uh, but they kind of stop the bleeding and then keep him in the field to play if they need him, you know, but because of his dynamic with with Chandler, which I hated to see fractured because the two of them were so great. But the story just took us there. It was one of those things that I think for Honey is just given what everything she's been through is sort of an irreparable situation. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm so glad that Matthew got a bigger role. We had talked about that on the podcast a lot last yep. year. We hope they'll use Matthew more. And then we're like, oh, but he turns out to be a rat. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so we, like Mike, when we were talking about, he said, be careful what you wish for. So mm-hmm. I'm going to ask this in two part time. So I'm going to do the first question here first and sure. then the follow up afterwards. So when Mo goes undercover inside the building to install the jump box, did you guys use an actual building for that or was it part set, part actual building? Yeah, all of the above. We There was a building that we located in uh, Los Angeles that would sort of speak to something like a, a pharmaceutical company and have the layout that kind of suggested the obstacle that was getting past and being able to breach the security measures in place mm-hmm. at a place like that. 
and then we built on stage the 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 actual server room so that when he slips in there yeah. then he's back and and uh we shot some of it uh there but uh we had to get uh, certain portions of it here on stage oh okay thank you and then uh also how much was involved with Stephen Chang, um, he kind of looked at ease, you know, installing the equipment. Did you guys have, and and the dialogue for the scenes, you guys have somebody train him on how to do all that? That's just Stephen. You know, we <laughs> talked the scene through and I it I look at it now and I'm like, of course it, it I, I hope it plays as nicely as I think it looks, but coming up with that idea, we knew he was going to, breach someplace probably a pharmaceutical company because we already had kind of laid out the, the the story in the writer's room but we had all these different ways like how does a person like mo infiltrate a company like that and have mm-hmm. access to the server room and it now it seems so obvious the way he does it because we actually had gotten that sort of suggestion from one of our consultants a, a private eye who's often hired to test the security measures of a company. So okay. we use that to get one step further of, uh, oh, this fire inspection business and being an independent contractor of the city, which is, that was all grounded in reality. He had all the credentials to get him through that. And then we had to, of course, take it a little bit further in terms of what he does when he's inside, as far yeah. as off the, you know, selling the inspection side of the story, but then also being able to slip in and out of the server room to install what he needed to install. Um, but the the naturalness is is Stephen. You know, we tried to explain it as best we could, be as detailed as we could in the script. I and mean, if any questions come up, our team flags it. All the people involved in bringing that scene to life will test it. So that by the time the actor gets his hands on the script, we hope it's detailed enough for him to do his job. Yeah, because with Tracy and I were kind of talking a few days ago about. You know, obviously people watch Bosch like with a fine tooth comb type of thing. And, you know, so if they see that Mo is plugging something in where he shouldn't have been doing, maybe that'd just be kind of, you know, you get some viewers kind of going, oh, wait a minute, he wouldn't have plugged it in there. So I just thought it was kind of fun to ask that. You got that right. I hope we got it right. We'll see. (laughs) As long as we sold it dramatically and people went with the the moment, uh, I, I hope that was good enough. Well, he, yep. he made it look so natural. He's such a cool cat. That's just how I think yep. of him. <laughs> and it's it's kind of fun. It sounds like he's that way in, in real life, too, that he's just, I don't know, he seems to have a lot of confidence or something. So He has the charisma, for sure. That yeah. came across the moment we saw him on his audition. I'd say, you know, we had created this character, obviously, for Legacy. We had sort of talked about what this who this character is in the writer's room. But the moment we started reading people for it and the moment we saw Steven, he brought something to it that helps define the character a certain way even further. Yeah. And, uh, so that's uh, the, that's how gifted an actor he is. And he's uh, been a fun person to collaborate with. He's a, he's a really good person. Well, you think nice. of that type of character like from other shows, but I've never seen it done the way he does it. It's, you know, it's unique. I like that good. unique. Yeah, touch, good. So. We, yeah, we knew we were playing with something that was... <laughs> sort of a trope, you know, but it was like, okay, well, how do we do our version of this? Yeah. You know, typically yeah. while we explore something, cause we're in a genre where you're going to kind of trip up against those things once in a while. And then you say, well, it functions. There's a reason why that it, these things exist in, in this genre. How can we do our version of it and put something on it that feels a little bit different, you know? Yeah. Did you know that you wanted to connect with the music piece from the beginning when you sort of designed the character? I think that evolved. Okay. That evolved. Yeah. 
there's obviously an age and generational gap between mm-hmm. Bosch and Mo, and there's also uh, you know a temperament <laughs> difference there. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the actors clicked. There's good chemistry between the two of them. And the thing that we sort of wrote to, I think Eric is responsible for this. I can't remember who it, it was either Eric or Mike kind of included it in the first, in that, in their pilot episode of this, of this series, this bonding over the music. And once we had that, it sort of, it has kind of grown into its own thing. Okay. Okay. We wanted to ask about um, how you, how you would explain Pierce and Vega's sort of reluctance a bit to talk to Harry. Was it more about protocol and just, not doing something, you know, going the wrong way or just knowing Bosch in general that sometimes he pushes the envelope and did that yeah. make him nervous? I think it's both and. They know Bosch okay. well. They know that he's relentless. And once you say yes to him, you've sort of opened up. Open the door. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's not going to stop, you know, so there's some reluctance there. And it's interesting, you know, he's moved on from the department. He left under a cloud. And I think people who work with Harry probably have certain misgivings about it. They respect him. They uh-huh. we would want someone like that on any case that would involve like something personal were to happen to a family member. They would want Bosch on that. But he's probably, you know, kind of exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and especially the dynamic between he and, and, and Pierce, because Pierce has kind of grown into his own, but I, I don't think Bosch is ever going to let him not feel like, you know, young blood. <laughs> Young blood, and and that might great great on Pierce a little bit, but they respect him and and like him, but also know you know, oh gosh, he could get us in trouble, and he's not going to stop once we 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 say yes yeah. to him. Okay, that makes sense. The uh, last question for episode six was: we see that Honey's kind of forced to by the judge to to want to take or not to want to to kind of be forced to agree to a plea agreement with the prosecution. Can a judge really put that much? pressure for the defense or prosecution to accept a plea offer can't force them but they can make it pretty persuasive especially in a situation like that where they're in their chambers where it's like okay are are we really going to take this to trial there's Mm. enormous amount of time and resources that go into going to trial um Mm. that's why in in whether it's civil or even in criminal uh sort of cases they they don't always see the inside of a courtroom uh, in civil sense, they settle. And this is kind of its equivalent with a case like this that looks as if Foster is guilty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are we really going to put this on its feet and select the jury and go through all of this dance um, when you guys should be able to plea this out? So figure it out, guys. That's typically okay. a judge like of Newland. That's kind of his perspective. Um, okay. So Chandler read that she knew it was serious you can't just sit there and blow it off she has by obligation a, a duty to take it to her client and yeah. and that's in fact what she does and mm-hmm. and you know the, the choice is up to foster and his wife 